بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی علیہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ایتھ آف مارچ ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ and in particular the righteous deeds and there's also another misconception people have and that is if they start preparing for the next they will lose out in this very world however this isn't actually correct Sayyidina Rib'i ibn Amr radiyallahu who was the second emissary that Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas sent to the Persian general Rustam It mentions, Rib'i radiyallahu entered with his sword, shield and undersized horse. He continued riding the horse, even trampling on the edges of the rope. He then dismounted and tied his horse on one of the couches. He then walked along with his weapons and armor, still wearing his helmet. When the courtiers asked him to remove his weapons, he said, I have not come on my own accord. I have come on your request. Either leave me as I am or grant me leave. Rustam allowed him entry. And he came with a spear which tore most of the rug as he walked whilst leaning on it. So, stop in the report. So, he, this is before the battle of Qadisiyah. And there was emissaries being sent between the believers and the Persian hierarchy and each and every time it was the Persians who wanted to speak to the Muslims so this was the second emissary his name was Rib'i ibn Amr and in terms of his, uh, of his uh, height he was short and the horse that he was riding towards with was also a short horse and then it mentions when he entered he tied his horse on one of the couches So this shows he wasn't impressed by all the, you know, the paraphernalia. So he got close to Rustam. The courtiers asked, what has brought you here? Rib'i responded, radiyallahu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent us to remove those whom he wills from the slavery of man to take them to the slavery of of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove from them the narrowness of the world towards its vastness and from the oppression of other religions towards the justice of Islam subhanallah this is in Al-Bidayah volume 7 page 38 Tabri in Istariq volume 4 page 105 Hayat al-Sahaba volume 1 page 387 to 9 of the New English translation so what did they ask because why have you come into our land. So he said three things. The first is, we have, and what's interesting, he didn't mention nothing about the wealth. Because we're not here for any of that. Because the first reason we've come is to take you away from becoming the servants of the of man to becoming servants of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the second part, which is relevant to our subject, 
to remove them from the narrowness of the world towards its vastness. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. He goes, you're living in the most narrow part of the world. We want to show you the vastness. Mm-hmm. And then he mentioned from the oppression of other religions towards the justice of Islam. So Mufti Sayful Islam, he commented in his work, A Gift to My Brothers, page 12 to 13, quoting, These words of Lib'i, radiyallahu, amazed me. Had he referred to the narrowness of this world and the spaciousness of the akhirat, it would not have perplexed me in the least. For every Muslim believes in this. In other words, Sayyidina Rib'i told Rustum that the Muslims had not come out of the Arabian Peninsula attracted by spoils or, many, or any material considerations. Rather, they felt pity for their fellow human beings. They intended to free them from their dark and narrow selves. For they appeared to them as caged animals, leading only an animal-like existence. For the Persians were slaves to their own desires. They indeed needed help and support. So one of the scholars, he said, this is what I believe he was referring to. He goes, they were living and they were slaves to their nafs. If your nafs is not under control, You are a slave. And when you are a slave to yourself, he goes, you're living like an animal. So what he was highlighting was, he goes, I've come to free you. Or we've come to free you from this. Because you need help and we have come to help you. But this really shouldn't be strange in the least. Why? Because Sayyidina Rib'i, radiyallahu, was only echoing the words of our beloved messenger. When he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, The most intelligent person is he who remembers death most often and prepares for it the hardest. Mm-hmm. They will attain honor in this world and also nobility in the hereafter. Mm-hmm. This is in Ibn Majid Tabarani and Shaykh Al-Bani authenticates it in As-Sahiha number 1384. So this is the description of the intelligent one. And what's interesting, you don't need a single penny. Allah Ta'ala is the most merciful. You can be a king, you can be the most intelligent person. You can be a pope, you can be the most intelligent person. Wealth is not a hindrance. What makes you the most intelligent person? You've got to have two qualities. The first is you remember death more often. So if somebody remembers death more than you, he's more intelligent. And then secondly, You prepare for it the hardest. If somebody is preparing harder than you, he's more intelligent. Then look what the Prophet said. They will attain honor in this world. So what's the Prophet referring to? Are we doing all our deeds for the world? And the answer is no, we're not doing it for the world. But Allah gives you the world. You will attain honor in this world. So now, who are the ones who attain honor? So if I was to say to you, whether it's companions honorable, and even the non-Muslims say that, because they were honorable people, why have you called people from another religion honorable? You ask the non-Muslims, and then they start coming out with their statements. We respond by saying, 
they remembered death and they prepared the hardest. Our Prophet said they will attain honor in the world, but more importantly, nobility in the next. So what is very important to highlight is when you start practicing your deen, you're not actually sacrificing anything. You are actually gaining both in this world and of course in the next. And this is why there's that famous dua which the Prophet always included in his du'as, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma rabbana atina fi dunya hasanatu wa fil akhirati hasanatu wa qina adhabun nar. In Sayyih Bukhari. The Quran says, Rabbana. The Prophet added, Allahumma. In Bukhari Sharif. Anas radiyallahu said, whenever Rasulullah made a du'a, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would add this du'a. So, what is this du'a? O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Lord, give us good of this world and give us good of the next world and save us from the fire. What is the good of the world? Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana. Hasana means beautiful. It also means good. So give me the beautiful and good of the world. Hasan al-Basri, rahmatullahi he said this refers to knowledge. This is in Tirmidhi. So again, it's not what you think what that dua means. You, you know, a person is why making that dua? I'm doing it for Koti. <laughs> what are you doing dua for? Koti. <coughs> and then you say, but maybe it doesn't mean that. Because it says dunya. And he goes, yes, dunya, you think of lowly things. But if Allah is telling you that you're asking for the beautiful thing of the dunya, it can't be lowly. And then you go, that's true. If Allah had not said hasana, then you're right. Does the dua stop at Rabbana atina fi dunya? Doesn't stop there, is it? Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana. Wa fil akhirati hasana. Wa kina adabunna. What is the hasana? And the hasana is knowledge. Now why did Hassan al-Basri say in Tirmidhi is knowledge? Because that is how you gain honor in the world. The Prophet is telling you. For instance, if you look at your own lives, is your life not an accumulation of knowledge? which then becomes a generator of deeds. <laughs> so what is the generator of deeds? Knowledge. Isn't that the beauty of the world? Without knowledge, you're like an animal. <laughs> right? So note, here, there is no sacrifice in the world. You're getting the best of the world, which the Prophet was mentioning, Then there is death, about which the Honorable Sayyidina Hudayfa said the most twitching and poignant words when he was leaving the world. What did he say? A destitute lover presents himself with nothing other than remorse. A destitute lover presents himself with nothing other than remorse. Recorded by Sheikh Abu Talib Makki in his Qut al-Qulub 2-51, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya, in the chapter on love, longing, intimacy and contentment, chapter 11, page 108 of the English translation. So now let's look at this. Hudayfa, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned many things about him. One of the things the companion said that he was the keeper of the Prophet's secrets. The Prophet ﷺ said, believe what he tells you, <laughs> he was made a governor by Sayyidina Umar. And Umar tested him. <laughs> and his test was very strange. So now what's strange? Why would Umar test somebody who knew the Prophet's secrets? The scholars are baffled by that. <laughs> you know, you think maybe there's an exception. He goes, no, I'm going to test him. So what did he do? He made him a governor. And then 
he called him back after some time but he he was he went out so that he wouldn't get to Medina to see him and when he was basically staking out to observe Hudayfa Hudayfa was exactly the same mm-hmm. he, he, so he was sitting on the same horse or whatever it was he had something in his hand and Umar goes mashallah nothing has changed mm-hmm. right so he was impressed saying that look even authority doesn't affect when Hudayfa was sent by Umar to become the governor of Madain the people looked at Hudayfa and they thought what sort of a governor is this He's come on a smashed up horse and he's got something, he's eating something, you know, a piece of bread. And he doesn't look like any, does not look like the governor at all. And then the first things he said was, do not come to the gates of rulers, it will destroy you. <laughs> so they realized that he was warning them of hypocrisy. Because I'm the governor, you come to me, because you're going to get destroyed. So... This man, he lived an amazing life. On his deathbed, look what he says. A destitute lover presents himself with nothing other than remorse. I am a destitute. I haven't done deeds. But I have love for you, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the only thing I'm offering now is grief. Those spoke a mountain of a man. Then what of the likes of the majority of us? Now think about that. They were the most intelligent people. They prepared the hardest. And yet, when they're leaving the world, they goes, we didn't do enough. We should have done more. And this is why there's a report which mentions about Amr ibn al-As, that when he was dying, he said that I put my reliance only upon La ilaha illallah. <laughs> so what did he do? <laughs> he goes, I'm only putting my reliance on that. <laughs> so what it shows is that they were trained by the best and they didn't rely upon their deeds. They were relying upon the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they were hoping that Allah ta'ala would use something as an excuse which they had done. <laughs> upon the inevitable death of a person, as is known, he, he or she should be buried quickly. In Tabarani, our beloved Messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a Muslim corpse should never be kept amongst his family. A Muslim corpse should never be kept amongst his family. Meaning, once the soul leaves the body, bury him, bury her. But this is a problem now. Because why? We've got all these rituals. He's got to spend a few hours here. He's got to spend a few hours there. You're going against the command of the Prophet. He goes, do not let him stay with the family. Look at the command. He goes, the family, that's your point. He goes, look, we need to see him. We need to do this. Bury him. The Prophet goes, don't keep it with the family. Bury him. And similarly, Abdullah ibn Umar, our beloved messenger said, when one of you dies, do not keep him. Take him to his grave as quickly as possible. This is in Tabarani in his Kabir, number 13,613, Behaki in his Iman, number 9,294, and Hafiz ibn Hajar al stated Hassan in Fat al-Badi 3-184. He goes, quickly bury him. He goes, do not keep him a moment 
which is more nece- that, that is not necessary. And in another word, whoever dies in the morning, let him not have his siesta but in his grave. Whoever dies in the evening, let him not spend the night but in his grave. This is in Tabarani in his Kabir number 13,551, Ibn Adi al Hatimi in Majma al 3-20, and it has a weakness in the chain of transmission. So look how beautiful the word. If you die in the morning, let him rest. Have his Kailula in the grave. Kailula is just before Zohar, or just after Zohar, sorry. He goes, death, meaning a few hours, get him buried. And if he dies in the evening, let him not spend the night but in the grave, meaning don't wait till the morning, bury him. All of this is confirmed in the famous hadith in Sayyid Bukhari. The Prophet said, make haste to bury the dead. Be quick. Is it not a more sobering thought to reflect upon the fact we are all just 12 hours, give or take, from being buried under the earth? Subhanallah, how swift does one return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Think about that. A person, he's only 12 hours from being buried. <laughs> when they actually put it like that, the guy goes, Hang on a minute. What, what? He goes, what happens? You, you know, we know many people like this. Died in the morning, buried by Zor. That's not even 12 hours. Right? Six, seven hours, they're buried. So why is that? Because that's it. There's no point now the person being, he needs to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he relates that the Prophet gave the wisdom for this, when a funeral is ready and the men carry the deceased on their necks, if it was pious, it will say, present me quickly. If it was other than this, it says, woe to me, where are they taking me? Its voice is heard by everything except mankind and were they to hear it, they would fall unconscious. Sayyid Bukhari 2-108 So if you're pious, you are saying take me quickly. But you don't say take me quickly. You present me quickly. In other words, I want to be with my Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if it is other than this, he grieves. He goes, where are they taking me? And look what the Prophet said. Everything hears that voice except mankind. And if they could hear it, they would fall unconscious. So let me ask you a question. How can you fall unconscious with these few words? Woe to me. Where are they taking me? So how is that person uttering those words? Because you would all fall unconscious if you, would, if you heard what the person is saying. So now why is that? Because the grave is the first stage of the Akhirat. And quickly, good or bad. You know, if he's good, take him back. If he's not good, good riddance. The squeezing of the grave. In Ahmad in his Musnad 5-407, Sayyidina Hudayfa radiyallahu, he said, We were once with the Prophet وسلم, at a funeral. And when we arrived at the grave in which the deceased was to be buried, he sat down on the edge and he looked repeatedly in it. He then said, The believer shall be squeezed in the grave, a squeeze from which his bones will be broken whilst the grave of the unbeliever shall be filled with fire. Astaghfirullah. In Ahmad in his Musnad 5-407. So what happened? The graves being dug, the body's being brought, but the Prophet has got there before the body. And he's looking into the empty grave. 
and he's looking again and again. And then he said two things which are shocking. The believer shall be squeezed in the grave, meaning this is a Muslim. A squeeze which will break his bones. Meaning that the squeezing is not the same for the believers. A squeezing takes place. Some believers, the squeezing will break the bones. So let me ask you a question. Which bone is going to be broken? What's the first bone that the grave touches? The shoulders. The shoulder is the most difficult bone to break. Think about this, right? You know, obviously you can break a finger quite easily. If somebody goes, have you ever heard of somebody breaking his shoulder? We're not talking about dislocating it, right? So what is the force that's taking place? The believer will squeeze and the bones will be broken. But then the Prophet said, but for the unbeliever, his grave is filled with fire. Meaning he's, he's stuck for the lie, he's something else. And similarly, Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, Rasulullah went وسلم, down into the grave of Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad and he stayed there for a while. When he eventually ascended, we asked, Ya Rasulullah, what has kept you down there? He responded, Sa'ad was being squeezed in the grave. Thus I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to release him from that squeeze. This is in Ahmad in his Musnad 3-327, Hakim in his Mustadrak 3-206, Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat 3-430. So what's happened? Sa'ad's been lowered into the grave. Now what's interesting, was he in the grave when Rasulullah went down into the grave? So the report says yes. So he had been lowered into the grave and the earth hadn't been put on his body. The Prophet didn't allow them to put earth on his body. Rasulullah entered the grave. Imagine. Of Sa'ad. So the Sahaba waited and the report says it must have been some time because they were waiting for him to ascend. When he ascended, because Ya Rasulullah, why did you stay in the grave? Look what the Prophet said. Sa'ad was being squeezed. I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to release him from that squeeze. Who's Sa'ad? Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, another report. Abdullah ibn Abbas by him in whose hands is my soul I heard his groaning and witnessed how his bones were being displaced due to the squeezing this is in Tabarani in his Kabir number 10,827 12,975 so why did Rasulullah quickly enter the grave because Sa'ad was feeling pain and what was the pain? Because his bones were being dislocated. Meaning they hadn't broke. And the Prophet quickly went into the grave. And he was asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, release him, oh my Lord, when he was released. So now, can any peeps up be like Sa'ad ibn Ibad? It's a joke, you know, you hear some, sometimes you, you hear people talk about their sheikhs and you're thinking, you know, this guy's going to be, you know, gateway to paradise. What about himself? What's he been doing in the grave? So question, Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, what was his credentials? So first, he's a Sahaba. Secondly, he was martyred. <laughs> so you, you can't even use the argument, well, he wasn't martyred. So maybe if he was martyred, Allah, Allah no, he was martyred. 
his martyrdom was of such a high level, the Prophet said that the others shook with joy upon his martyrdom. So he's not a normal martyr. 70,000 angels came down to participate in his funeral. The hadith is in Tirmidhi. And etc, etc. That man, his grave was squeezing and his, his, his bones were dislocated. And the Prophet intervened to protect him. So what hope have we got? So why is this taking place? And the response is, the world, the dunya is your mother. You have committed sins on the surface of your mother. So maybe it's a kind of final, you know, rebuke to say this is, you know, what you need before you go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever the case, it's frightening. And our mother Sayyida Aisha, she was weeping. This is in Behaki, in Shu'abul Iman. She goes, Ya Rasulullah, every, ever since you've told us about the, the squeezing of the grave, he goes, I can't find rest. So the Prophet said, Oh Aisha, for the believer, the grave will, be, will squeeze the believer just like a mother massages the head of a child that's ill. So what does this mean? It means that it's not using its force. It's only using a little bit. But what's happening with that little bit? Imagine if he uses full force. That little bit breaks your bones, dislocates your bones, and there's no way out of that. The Prophet said that even children are squeezed in their graves. The hadith is in the Quran. So you can't even use logic. You say, well, what about the sinless? The prophets are the only exception, right? Because there's a text which I can't recall at the time, which mentions that they are accepted. They're an exception to it, and the, and that seems to add to the reason being why the squeezing takes place. There was another exception. It was Fatima bint Asad, Sayyidina Ali, mother. The Prophet he actually laid down in her grave and he made immense du'as for her. And he came out smiling and he goes, my Lord has spared her from the squeezing of the grave because of my intercession. And this was Ali's mother. So note, when you talk about the grave, yes, you got Surah Mulk, which we discussed many nights prior, will protect you from the punishment of the grave. But there's something that everybody has to taste, and that's the squeezing. And there's no escape from that. How long does it last? And again, this is another very interesting question. So the response is, whatever the case, if a Sahaba is groaning, it doesn't really matter how long it lasts. The most bravest and strongest people after the prophets are the companions. He was groaning, i.e. in terms of the, the pressure. So we ask Allah the Almighty to make it as easy as possible. Why? Because it's something we have to all go through. When does it take place? If you look at the report, the earth is not even put on the body. It's happening to Sa'ad. Some people mention that it only takes place when the earth is put onto the body. If that was the case, then why is Sa'ad getting crushed even before the earth is put onto his body? So this is something that you need to, you know, reflect upon when you're burying your brothers and sisters. And you make dua for them. You make it easy. Make it easy as possible. And this is why one of the Salaf to finish, he said that the dead, he goes, they have gone through three things, which is a great blessing that we still have to experience. The first is, they've gone through the pangs of death. 
think about that we haven't the second is they've gone through the squeezing of the grave we haven't and the third is inshallah he goes they've gone through the interrogation of the angels and look how they were thinking this is the salaf right he goes the dead are so fortunate because they've actually gone through three of the awesome tests that await all of us and we ask allah the almighty and glorious to help us at those most trying times amen So what I mentioned again today was with regards to preparing for the next world. I mentioned the famous hadith of Sayyidina Ribi'i, Ibn Hirash, uh, Ibn Amr radiyallahu. And then I mentioned what that meant. And then I mentioned, of course, the dead needs to be buried quickly. And then, of course, the squeezing of the grave, which is not often mentioned, which is strange. Are there any questions? Hilal Asq. سبحان ربي حمدي سبحان الله وما بحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك رب العالمين اشهد ان جيم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون سلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل الانسان في قصر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات واصبحوا حق واصبحوا صبر صدق الله